Hey folks, I just want to let you know about my upcoming book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. If you're looking for a job or you think you might be looking for a job in the future and you're trying to up your mobility and meet new people and things like that, this book walks you through the whole process. So go ahead and check it out. It comes out on November 20th. It'll be on Amazon and you can find it as The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast, talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and today I'm joined with Michael Reese. I would not put Michael. <laughs> and today we have our special guest, Jason Fertel. Jason, can you give us a little background as to who you are and, and why we have you here? Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm Jason Fertel. I run the marketing automation engineering team at PepsiCo e-commerce. Um, and I'm here to talk about some of the things we've been doing with Elixir at PepsiCo and uh, how we got to where we are and you know some of the fun things we're working on. Awesome. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Because I know uh, you guys had a, a sponsor presentation spot at ElixirConf 2019. And I was really impressed with just what you guys were doing. And I wanted... And then when I went and looked back uh, at the Elixir videos, I didn't see that among the videos. And maybe if it is there, I, I just couldn't find it. But I just wanted to make sure people are aware of what PepsiCo is doing and that they were sponsoring this event. And a lot of the reasons I think it is important to, to have you guys on and give you guys a chance to share what you're doing is because I think of that developer who's in their, in their current workplace and they're trying to talk to their team and they're... Uh, their VP or whoever it is, and they're they're promoting Elixir because I've been that guy, right? I've been that guy who's promoting Elixir, and a lot of the questions that come back are, well, who's using Elixir? And being able to point to large companies that have made a bet and are currently using it is a a really big kind of uh, validation, and so that's something that I think people want to be able to have uh, as a resource. So I would love to hear about. Just kind of maybe you can kind of share a little bit about what you guys uh, shared at the Elixir Comp for those people who weren't there and weren't able to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I could go through the presentation now if, if, <laughs> if you want. I could, I could I could share it if you guys are interested, um, and 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 walk you through it. But I know it's obviously an audio based medium. Um, uh, we 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 can describe the different slides because I think like it was funny if, if everybody was there it was it was a good time. So why don't I just do that and we'll, we 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 could go from there. So. Um, I'm going to share. So essentially, uh, I put a bunch of slides together, and it, 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 you know, 
one of the things, especially early on when uh, I came on board to PepsiCo Commerce, which I'll talk about a little bit after this, you know, I was worried about being able to hire great engineers for a company like PepsiCo because it's not a tech company. We're, you know, we're, uh, you know, a food and beverage company. We make snacks. We make, you know, soda and water and all these different things where you're like, well, why, why would I, as a engineer, want to go work at a company like that? And um, I, we'll get into this as well, but I think harsh, partially Elixir has helped a lot in that, you know, because I, I think it, it, it shows people that we're serious about this. And I, I think we, we, to be frank, would have a lot of issues if we were a node or rails or whatever shop. So um, can you guys see the screen here? Yeah. And actually, Jason, do you want, can you just give a quick background of like, what's one project that your team helps to deliver? I, for, for me, I've never worked at a company the size of PepsiCo. Uh, and so when we talk about e-commerce, PepsiCo e-commerce specifically, and then marketing automation, or particularly, I don't have a yeah. good sense for what does that team do? Yeah. I, I, I think maybe we could give some background sort of of how how I ended up because I'm, I'm I was the one who brought Elixir into PepsiCo and kind of how I ended up there um about four years ago I started a company with some folks who founded a ad exchange called OpenX which happens to be a large Erlang user which has nothing to do with this part of the story but it just that's just an aside and uh we um were working on a product in the ad tech space. Some of the things we ended up building, we decided Elixir would be a good fit for. Um, we ran out of money, sold to the company, managed to start a new company, and uh, PepsiCo happened to be our first customer. And it just made sense for us to come on board with them. So there was a small acquisition and RIP came in with us. Um, and that's how um, Elixir came on board. One of the first meetings I had there was like, well, nobody here knows Elixir. And uh, so are we going to port this to Python? And I was like, no, <laughs> not, not, not going to happen. Um, so, 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 so essentially, we started building the project product there in Elixir. And uh, we then hired my boss, uh, a guy named Mark Tofik, who was the used to run engineering at a company called User Testing, which was a um, which is a Rails based company. And I think his experience, obviously, with Ruby, and just the fact that a lot of folks from user testing had a strong interest in Elixir. When he came on board as my boss to build out a much larger engineering organization, he was aware and essentially all for using Elixir because um, he was able to bring on some folks from user testing as well, which partially based on the fact that they would get to work in Elixir. So essentially, like that is the, the, the birth of Elixir there. Uh, we ended up bringing on another person in another small kind of acquisition. And, and, and that project was based in Node. He saw that we were all working in Elixir and he's like, you know what? I'm going to port this to Elixir. So uh, it's, it, at that moment, it officially became kind of the backend application engineering language for PepsiCo e-commerce. So almost all new work that we do, everything that we build, you know, that's, that's related to sort of application development is um, we use Elixir for. For data engineering tasks, uh, we do not, like we're, we're fully Python for that. I think, um, you know, there, there's a lot of push, my understanding 
with the community to do a lot of these, some of those tasks with these data pipelines in Elixir, but the tooling, the expertise out there and, you know, the integration with, you know, data science platforms uh, is much more. Um, yeah, it's just like there's a mature set of features and libraries like yeah. TensorFlow. And if you just want to leverage that, that just makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, we use, uh, a, you know, Airflow and, and, and all these different things that are, are meant for this. And there's people that you hire that do this. And, and yeah, so I, I don't see that changing anytime sooner ever. But, but in terms on the application side, um, we are um, pretty bought into Elixir. To give you a sense of what my team does and what we build, we're very much building software around so so if, if we went through these slides, but I'm gonna just throw it over here. So 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 our customers are are the big folks in e-commerce. And 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 it's a little deceiving the fact that our name is PepsiCo e-commerce because it makes it sound like we are selling product on Gatorade.com. There is a Gatorade.com where you could buy Gatorade product. We um, actually don't manage that at all on our team. Um, <laughs> what, 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 as, as, an, as an example, um, but we are doing, um, you know, what we talk about with that is Amazon.com, Walmart.com, Jet, you know, marketing for things like Kroger, Instacart, Prime Now, you know, the grocery, any of those things that you can think of where you were going online and bag, buying a bag of chips, we're optimizing everything from the supply chain to the marketing to the um, sales, which is um, very different than the way other CPGs in the space operate, right? So, so uh, our product specifically is focused on the marketing side. So we have a workflow and automation application that essentially helps our marketing team buy search advertising on Amazon and pretty soon um, Instacart and uh, Critio, which is a large, you know, ad tech company that also happens to have this product called Cart Hook, Cart Hook Logic. Sorry about that. All right. <laughs> uh, so, so, so basically, uh, we work with folks like uh, Amazon.com to manage the help our team do search advertising on amazon.com pretty soon instacart and uh Critio, which bought a company a couple years ago called hook logic to manage advertising on those sites but you know a lot of our advantage th there are vendors that do some of these things they don't work necessarily with a lot of these smaller kind of marketing platforms so there's there's other vendors in the space i my company was one of them essentially um, around this, you know, new sort of advertising, but we work with folks that nobody else is working with yet, right? Like Instacart, there's not a lot of impetus for other folks to go on Instacart. Uh, in the traditional kind of CPG world, the way folks do this is there's a, there's a media agency that they essentially outsource all their media buying to. Um, they might have some folks doing the sales commercialization. Um, the marketing is very sp split up by brand. So there's not like this inherent focus on performance marketing inside of these large CPGs. They've always outsourced it, right, to agencies. So, so there's a disconnect when you have to have a, a very holistic strategy for how you sell your products online, right? And um, it's been to PepsiCo's great, like we've been incredibly successful. I think in, in earnings, in the earnings report last month, or I guess earlier this month, 
uh, it was announced that we did that we were doing over two billion dollars globally online. So, so, so by and large, the, you know, the work we do helps feed into that engine. And I, I, I like to think of the product we're building as as uh, a machine for you know printing money. Nice. Those are good machines. <laughs> so you mentioned that you your product kind of has this holistic view. Are you taking does that mean you take into account other things about the supply chain or about the logistics of yes. what's being sold into like when you purchase that ad space and, and all those kinds of things? We're getting there. We're not quite there yet, but that's the goal, right? And that's kind of what separates this being an in-house product versus using a vendor is the ability to take into account, hey, what is your um, inventory look like on Amazon right now, right? What's your inventory in our own warehouses, right? what's your search rank on Amazon, right? Like why, like another example would be, you know, how your competitors are doing in certain other ways. Are they out of stock? All of these different things that maybe a vendor might not offer. On top of that, we build the product very differently than a vendor would, right? Like we are able to move a little bit faster in some ways, right? Because we don't need to focus so much on features that while might be nice, can be solved with a SQL query. Right, and, and and that's sort of uh, the advantage of this being in house, and 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 you know some of the things that we're building from that that have sort of fallen out of it. You know, we were able to do, for example, using this the the search platform on Amazon, we're able to give real time out of stock information to our supply and sales uh, supply chain and sales teams, which is not possible with the other. With the other platforms, sorry, the 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 other vendors, and and and, and to be honest, um, other um, the the way the platform itself works, we're able to get that. For example, as an example, Amazon will stop running your ad if you're out of stock, right? So that that's a clear signal of hey, you're out of stock. Whereas they might not know they're out of stock for days, or they might go on and actually physically open their computer, check the page to see if they're out of stock, right? Like obviously, that's that's a major of major importance to our business is to always be in stock. Right. Be more proactive and monitoring and tracking. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. ElixirCast creates screencasts that cover a wide range of Elixir and Phoenix topics. Each episode tackles a specific problem or explores a new library, demystifying it in a language that's easy to understand. Whether you are just starting with Elixir or are using it professionally with 100 plus episodes, there's something for you. Go check them out at ElixirCast.io. I would be curious to learn how you feel Elixir has been beneficial in this solution space. Like, you know, it's presented like maybe we'll turn into Python. You're like, no, no. Uh, so I just like, we're going to keep an Elixir. Uh, like, why, what do you think uh, Elixir brought to the table that was uh, an advantage or a uh, benefit? So I think, to, to, so, so, so I think going back just from my own personal experience had a lot to do with it. You know, I, I've been doing Elixir and Erlang since. 2010, I think I, I started coding in Erlang. Um, and I did that on and off until I got into Elixir. And then I was like, why would I do anything but Elixir? You know, and I think that like to the, the, the short answer is, you know, it was just me. And I had no interest in writing it in Python. <laughs> right? Like, there's that I think the other thing is from purely from like, a DevOps and maintenance and all these other, when you're a one person engineering team, which is what we started as like spinning up an MVP in Elixir Phoenix to me 
is much more straightforward when you might need things like, you know, a cache. Okay, we'll use ads. It's on one machine. Like, it's, you need a cache, we use ads. Like, you need to background sending emails. Okay, we'll just spawn some processes to do that. You know, like, these are, these are the, like, at the, at the, at the, like, at the, even at the start, you hear people be like, well, I, you know, if I were doing an MVP, I'd just do a Rails app. Like, not, like, Phoenix is there to, you know, for even the, a toy project. It has so much more right out of the box that um, can let you be more efficient, um, build products faster than I think uh, anything, anything else that I've worked with. Like, if you want to do anything real time with, with, with web sockets on the client, for example. Yeah, I mean it's 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 so straight like it's so unbelievably powerful, straightforward, and like easy to get started once you once you have the the knowledge and and, and ability. I think where it's what what uh, a, a intended or unintended consequence of that is that I think it's been really good for our hiring. The first person I hired, I don't know if you guys know David Antaramian. He runs uh, the New York City Elixir Meetup. And he also runs, uh, he's one of the organizers of the MPEX conference uh, here in New York. And there's one in LA. I think having him, like he was, I don't think, like I wouldn't have been able to get that equivalent person in another community. I'm also active in the New York City Elixir community, so that helps. But I think um, it was getting people on board with the vision and the fact that we're using Elixir, I think has been a, a, a a much easier task uh, to hire than what I thought. Because again, people think of a place like PepsiCo as a stodgy sort of old company. Yeah, I'll say from my own experience, I've, I've seen that same thing um, and actually seen it you know, years ago with Rails that in a way being a Rails shop was, was kind of a signal to the world that like, hey, we are, we're a, we're a, an organization that's willing to take some risks because we're not an established player. And in the David versus Goliath, like we're going to take whatever advantages we can. And that also includes technology advantages. And so, uh, so I work at a small company now, and I think it is a really big uh, hiring advantage. I mean, there are, there are some issues that come with trying to hire Elixir developers. I'm not trying to underplay that. And I know that companies um, do sometimes have problems with that, but Anytime you're actually hiring for kind of an up and coming technology, you get to kind of ride that wave of people who are like, oh, I really wish I could have a job writing an Elixir. And part of the reason they might come to your organization is that they want to know what it's like to deploy an application in Elixir and to maintain it and to monitor and do all the production stuff that you don't really do on a side project. And, and so a lot of times you get not only um, do you get people who are excited about the language, but those also tend to be engineers who are highly intrinsically motivated. Depending on your organization, that might be exactly the kind of engineer you're looking for. I have always really enjoyed working with people who are, they're already on some sort of uh, a journey of their own. And us working together is just a part of that journey. And so um, I, I find that those people add an, an immense amount of value because they are actively looking for ways to, to build something that's useful and something that's uh, that solves the problem in a, in a better way than what they've done in the past. And that kind of search for, for something good creates this, uh, a really positive feedback cycle between them and the team. Uh, and it creates a really good culture of uh, being willing to take a risk and being able to give feedback and all those, all those other things that I really value 
in an engineering team. So I've had that same sort of experience that Elixir is actually a big um, hiring advantage in my experience. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, 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 I think what with new technologies, they become very self-selecting where folks that um, are interested in new and learning something new and learning like you're going to you're going to self-select into these technologies. Um, and also what happens as well is as a technology like Rails gets as mainstream as it is or, or you know, Node.js, which um, which I think is I, I think what's great about JavaScript is the barrier to entry is so low. But at the same time, if you're hiring for JavaScript, it ends up being, you know, you you really you're you're inundated with candidates, right? Which is also can be good if you have the resources to select out the really good ones. But again, you know, it's a very difficult task to do a lot of that, right? Um, whereas uh, in some ways, the smaller pool is very self-selected to be relatively uh, set of strong, stronger candidates. Yeah, I've I've observed that as well. That they those early adopters uh, are people who are interested in learning, who are interested in growth, and they are often uh, they, they are the kind of the people you want leading that team. Uh, so I think it's it's great. Jason, could you share anything else about the tech stack that you guys are using? Um, you know, are are you uh, what's your deployment look like? Do you have anything in the way that you've structured the code uh, in terms of how your team grows and how people contribute to it? Yeah, I, 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 I think we're, we're learning as we go along. We started, to be, to be quite honest, we started the year with two people and we're now 10, 11 engineers. So it's, it's pretty big growth and that all happened about the last five months. That is a lot of growth in a short amount of time. Right. So if those people didn't already have Elixir experience, how, how did you bring them up to speed? Uh, thankfully, uh, we hired Elixir folks to start. Nice. I think that's that we're learning. That's not entirely true. Our, 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 our second hire was a Python guy, mm -hmm. but he was mostly focused on doing um, a lot of the Python work on our, on our data pipeline. But uh, he's picked up Elixir pretty well. I would say, uh, but everybody else had a background in Elixir or had done enough where it wasn't new to them. I think that's going to be a learning experience for us as we as we grow a little bit more um, and more folks have to learn. Uh, a few folks on my team, we, I, I, we're doing an upcoming training with Erlang Solutions. So we'll see how that goes. We're some folks who don't, some of the front end folks are interested in, in, in learning kind of what we do on the on the on the back end with Elixir, and um, so they're, they're doing uh, they're they're taking part in a training with them. But yeah, so back to the sort of original question about how it's structured. It's it's an umbrella application for better or for worse. I think um, you know there is some legacy here from my old company where we had a bunch of shared pieces of the code, and we actually did you know different deployments against different pieces of that code base using e-deliver. There's nothing fancy. We're probably, as we grow out our DevOps team here, um, we're probably moving from, we're still using just vanilla e-deliver deployments, which is, you know, has its own share of issues. We just haven't put the time in necessary on the DevOps. But um, as we probably grow a DevOps work, we're probably going to move to 
Kubernetes, but I'm very much keeping my hands out of that. <laughs> um, because every time I, I, I've gotten near Kubernetes, I just get incredibly scared. Uh, it's like anytime I've tried to do anything with like Scala or Java, just like, what are all these things? I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a step back and just not involve myself, whether or not it's a good decision. Um, I'll leave that up to, you know, I think, I think the advantage of it is, um, more on the DevOps side, um, for the management of the, of the cluster necessarily than, um, for our own, you know, there's, there's a lot of debates that, um, about obviously using Kubernetes, um, with Elixir, but you know, no, we're not doing that yet. So I don't have any complaints. I will when we do. <laughs> <laughs> there will be complaints <laughs> when you really start uh, pushing the boundaries on that deployment. I, I don't think there's any path that doesn't have some rough edges and things to bump against. Yeah, I think right now the application is relatively small and we, it is internal. So it's a smaller user base and we're not like pumping through a lot of events and data and things like that yet. Um, as we sort of do a lot more, get a lot more into the automation, we'll see. But it's just not that this one application just isn't a huge enough application where we're, we're running into big issues yet. Yeah, in terms of what we're using, uh, we're using Absinthe for uh, GraphQL, Postgres, Ecto. We built um, some of the... Everybody on my team hates me for this, but um, because because they all have to deal with it and maintain it. But So we use this... Uh, time series database called um, Druid because it's it's really good at sort of, you know, these advertising related, um, you know, analytics work workloads or queries where you're able to very quickly essentially do group by queries over a period of time. And uh, with, you know, in memory across terabytes of data, we're nowhere near the sort of max of it. But uh, we, we, we essentially, we built a you know, client library around that, that we probably should open source at some point. And uh, we, and then also built this abstraction layer around it using, you know, macros that I, sorry, I, I keep saying we, <laughs> which is as I'm saying, my team hates me for this. <laughs> it, 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 it built this, like, it's this great abstraction where if you like, for example, are adding a field to your Druid, Druid schema, you just, add the fields and it just magically works and you can query it from the client and everything's great. Yeah, that's the one case where it's great. <laughs> you know, like when, when you actually need, want to add new features to that abstraction, you know, and you have to like go through all these quotes, unquotes and everything like that. It's just like, and, and I would say most engineers, right, Elixir engineers rightfully and, and wisely are unfamiliar with how macros generally work. Uh, I think that, um, so, so especially, I mean, even if you even if you do understand how macros work and you start to dig into somebody else's code where they're doing a lot of code generation, it's just really, it's just tough. It's tough to dig in and really understand it. And it's hard to, in some ways, and I've gotten better at this, hard to um, really um, split up the code well if you have, are doing a lot of things in, in some of the generation. So, but I, I would recommend it to everybody. Make your code magical. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 kind of a joke, but if anybody on my team ends up listening to this, they're they're they they generally just complain anytime they uh, get involved. It, they they always say they always say like Jason's solution to every problem is a macro, <laughs> and then I, and then I point them to kernel.ex where everything's a macro. Right, that's right. Yep. 
yeah, it's interesting. The, the whole topic of macros is a very interesting topic. And there are uh, certainly cases where that is the only way you can solve a certain type of problem. Uh, but coming back to some of the other things that I think were interesting that I know you guys are doing there is just kind of, if I were to give some bullet points as to what I understand that you guys are doing with Elixir is that you're, you're doing sales and marketing automation and execution, you're doing end-to-end supply chain optimization, and I believe you're doing something kind of exploratory, if nothing else, with IoT. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're on IoT, we have some prototypes we've been toying around with around essentially uh, one of the guys on the product team is like, hey, um, we want to, it was some somebody with Amazon, they wanted us to toy around and build something, right? Um, and somebody on the product team was like, this is going to cost us a lot of money just to even get a prototype of this, right? So I was like, you know, this is a pretty straightforward thing to prototype. And this is also an opportunity for somebody on my team to learn nerves. Um, so uh, we, the product that he wanted to build was a um, auto-fulfilling Frito-Lay multi-pack, right? So uh, I don't know how, if you guys are familiar. I'm sure you had these when you were kids or knew people that had them when they were kids. I didn't have them where I kid, when I was a kid because my mom would never buy junk food. Um, so I ended up you know, going to my friends' houses and having all these, these things. Sorry, our food's not junk. It's great. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean that. Uh, everybody, you know, we have very enjoyable snacks. We have lots of healthy options. But uh, so snack food, my parents did not let me have snack food. There was no snacks. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, the multi-packs that have the pretzels, uh, you know, the Doritos and the all-in-one package, right? And with the little bags that you get, that got put in your school lunch, you know? So uh, the idea was, let's take one of those, see if we could build a um, auto-fulfilling one, right? So we spec'd out an MVP, figured out what we needed, ordered a bunch of parts. They were obviously the wrong parts. So we ordered some more parts. It turned out there was some issue getting the Raspberry Pi working with these parts. You know, I, uh, I suggested we use a Beagle Bone. The Beagle Bone ended up, you know, I'm not a hardware guy. My, my, my understanding is in order to do some of the analog stuff you would do with the scale, right? Where, where it's, you know, not, a, you know, it's not, it's not a, a binary kind of switch. It's, it's, you know, based on the, the, it, we're using these like pressure sensitive, I, I don't even know what they are, but essentially these, these like uh, conductive material that's pressure sensitive that, you know, ha- responds to the level of pressure. And uh, I think BeagleBone has some, analog inputs which is not existent on the raspberry pi so the uh beagle bone was was ended up being better for this prototype uh i think we probably could have still used the uh pi but it was just like it had it it's you know another 50 bucks to buy this thing so let's just build it with that and then essentially the prototype you go into the pack you take out a bunch of things and it sends you a text message when you're out, and uh, yeah, that, that that was essentially the 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 end of the project as of now. This may be something that ends up coming to fruition and being a real thing, but right now it was just a toy, um, which is good, right? I think which is which I think is important, especially just just in a culture you're trying to build, which is one of the things we're trying to do, is the ability to give people an opportunity to learn and work on 
things that they might not necessarily get a chance to work on. And something like that, especially the guy's very into hardware. He's like a, a keyboard nerd, which was all new to me. He uh, he goes to KeyCon, which is a um, conference for for um, keyboard enthusiasts, which again is like kind of awesome. It's like you know you go and there's like different there's vendors just selling different keys, you know. Um, <laughs> I had no idea there was a KeyCon, so <laughs> link to that in the show notes. Yeah. obviously there's everything now at this point the internet's a wonderful place one of my favorite communities to get involved with these days is the angular community there are so many great people there we've had a lot of them on adventures in angular over the last several years and i really wanted to just highlight people and give you a chance to get to know the flavor and the feel of being around some of these awesome people we've talked to people on the angular core team We've talked to people who have organized the conferences. We've talked to some of the co-hosts that I've had on Adventures in Angular. Nowadays, Aaron Frost is running the show and he's doing the same thing. Typically, he's been doing it at conferences lately, which is a lot of fun. But you get to hear what these people are about and why they care and how they get involved with other people in the Angular community. So if you're looking for that connection in the Angular community and a way to really understand the people who are involved in the Angular community, then go check out My Angular Story. You can find it at myangularstory.com. I think that's a really cool idea also, like you said, of, of kind of creating that culture of, well, let's give it a try. You know, I, I've seen so many times that... <laughs> By the way, you, you, you linked the wrong key con. I, I realized that and I was like, dang it, I can't find the right one. <laughs> to the another another thing I didn't know existed. <laughs> Again, the internet is an amazing place. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I've I've run into that struggle as well with Raspberry Pis. Don't have any you know, onboard analog to digital, so you have to like do a separate chip um, to help do that. Um, but that's really cool. Um, and when you say self fulfilling, I just want to make sure I understand this. So basically the the box that contains each of the different products, which I will also say from my own childhood, my parents are very like not buying chips was a thing. I don't know why still to this day, like there was a lot of other food that I ate that was way more questionable than chips as a kid. But actually we would occasionally buy these multi-packs when we went on road trips and they are like some of my fondest memories. But so what you're talking about here is something that like, as you take the products out, you kind of get notified that like, hey, you should probably buy more of these. Your kids have eaten all the Doritos. Is that, is that the way that works? Yeah, essentially. Um, so, so, so the idea would be is this would be some device which would notify you the moment you're out or near out to make sure you order more on Amazon or Walmart or anybody, anybody else that would feasibly be using that. that that's essentially the idea behind the project. What I think is cool about what you guys were talking about is just the idea of true R&D, just kind of doing that exploratory stuff to find out what can we do? How would we do that? And then you can separately have the question of like, is that something we want to pursue now or potentially later? And so I think it's great that you guys are fostering that type of a, an environment. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to note, like while we do do a bit of R&D and we do spend time on things like that, we're not... You, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, at these large corporations, the labs, right? The, you know, trying to think of like a, a really boring sounding company and then at the labs at the end, right? So like... The, the, <laughs> like, are you thinking like Xerox Park in the old days kind of a thing? Yeah, except a lot of folks do this now where they have this like labs. So, you know, for example, 
you know jiffy lube labs which is coming up with like you know like really like every company like i've heard it like a lot of banks have them you know where it's like okay we can't we know internally we cannot produce these things so we're going to start a labs group to do a lot of this r d and exploratory stuff and in in some ways you know the our group does some of those things in that we are with our with our um you know, some of our purviews, how do we build things that the greater PepsiCo organization can use and, 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 and do and work with based on the fact that, you know, we think of software and engineering and development very different than, you know, the rest of the organization does. But at the same time, we're very much tied to revenue, right? Whereas a lot of these labs that um, inside these larger companies, it's, it's, they're, they're not tied to their success is based on like how their their ability to be successful isn't necessarily there, right? Like it's like okay, you you built this really cool new way to jiffy lube your car. I don't even we don't have cars in New York. Is that how it works? <laughs> uh, I know what you're talking about. I actually worked in fintech for a little while, and I worked with a couple of banks that had labs groups. I'm just sitting over here chuckling because I think a lot of their key metrics were like how many patents did we file Ugh. because they're just stockpiling IP as their metric of success in a way. Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong, like they come up with cool stuff. Like they, they probably come up with cool stuff. They probably come up with somewhat innovative stuff maybe, but it's just, um, you know, there's nothing that makes you innovate more than, you know, having to hit a number, right? Like, or, or hit a metric, you know, like or, or a result. And, uh, I, and, and, and I think that's what's helpful is like our, Success is very clearly tied to, um, at, you know, how can we make more? How can we create things that make us more our business more successful, and in turn make you know PepsiCo more successful? Yeah, a customer that tells you you did it wrong—that's <laughs> that's the mother of invention in my career so far. Yep, and I, I do know uh, that, you know, as a developer, a career developer, I I, I recognize the value of being able to feel that my inputs are directly attributable or uh, reflected somewhere in the bottom line of the company, that I'm actually making a difference. Uh, because I feel like if I can be demonstrate that I'm making a difference, then they will want to keep me and, uh, and, and it'll raise my visibility and I can maybe have a greater influence. Uh, so I, I see that as a, a valuable thing to be able to say, yes, our group is m- impacting the bottom line and we are making a difference. So that's great. So thank you for coming on, Jason, and sharing some of these things. Uh, I think right now we're going to go ahead and transition to picks. Uh, Michael, do you have one you want to share? Yeah, I have uh, two quick picks this week. Um, I have a little side project that I mentioned in a previous episode of uh, fixing up a uh, an old golf cart that is now driving around and my kids uh, crashed it into our deck. So official success metric met for me. Yes. And did you, uh, did you build in like the airbags and everything? <laughs> no, it's like 1960s tech. So it's, it's just like, there's a bench seat and hopefully everyone survives. But one of the things that's been really fun to play with is I'm working on a scenic little dashboard that will show, to start with, it's going to monitor battery level. Um, and so I've been building out like a little, it looks like a fuel gauge. Um, and scenic has just been a ton of fun once again to work with. And I'll end up with a little touchscreen that's like on the front of this 1960s golf cart, which will just be an interesting sort of dichotomy of old tech and new tech. 
um, and at least hopefully get my kids to charge it when it's relatively empty. Um, and so that's been lots of fun. Thank you again to Boyd and all the people who worked on that. Um, and then I also wanted to just throw in one quick pick for uh, Spiff. So um, this is my current job. I've been working here for about two years and things are kind of picking up. Sales are moving forward. Financing's looking good. Um, and I'm probably going to be growing the team pretty soon. So if anyone is interested, I'll drop a link to kind of what the company does. Um, and if anyone is looking for Elixir jobs, um, then hit me up. I'd love to chat about it. Oh, and for people wondering, um, we are definitely remote friendly. Um, so we're open to remote um, as well as anyone living in Utah. As long as you're within a few time zones, I think we'd love to chat. Cool. All right. And my pick today is I wrote a blog post recently about using doing Elixir development in VS Code. I know VS Code has become a very popular development environment. Uh, or editor. And so this uh, post covers uh, the Elixir dis uh, extensions that you'll want to be using how they work, kind of what they do. So you can kind of see little screenshots of like, this is what you get out of it. Uh, and then I additionally recommend some other extensions that help improve code navigation and a theme that helps uh, Elixir look, uh, looks really nice. So you can check out my uh, blog post. It's on my thinkingelixir.com website. All right, Jason, do you have something you could recommend? Yeah, I have a, I have a, a, a few picks i think i'll start with the so so one of the things we actually do at pepsico e-commerce is actually create new um products actual new products like uh that people can eat um so we just launched a keto product called high low life um which is you could get it on amazon or at high low life let me just find highlowlife.com and uh i i feel like i have to um give a pick to my my wife's company just only because uh she's my wife not well it is also a great company and what she's doing is really cool so she's actually she has a wine company called uh my vino and she is doing a um indiegogo or a um some oregon pinot noir so i'm just gonna because i know she's gonna listen to this and i'm gonna wait till she listens to to hear this but i will post a link to sign up to uh get notified when this uh, when it launches, I, I'm sure this is the this is like the best possible marketing that can be done for her. Like the the intersection here, the Venn diagram of of Oregon Pinot Noir drinkers and, <laughs> yes. and uh, Elixir engineers is probably it's probably not a Venn diagram. It's just one circle. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect overlap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 I would say those are my uh, those are my two uh, picks there. The high low life. The, the wine's really good, but the high low life, the, the snack is is awesome. So I, uh, yeah, I would I would recommend it. it's online only right now, so you're not going to find it in any store because that's what we do over here is online only. Great. Well, Jason, thank you for coming on. I had fun talking with you. And if people would like to follow you online or connect with you, where should they go to do that? So my Twitter is um, Fertel, my last name. My GitHub is Fertel, my last name. I, everywhere it's just Fertel, except for. Um, you know, I, I I I stopped keeping up with it by the time Snapchat came out, so I don't I don't have I don't have the Fertel Snapchat, but uh, everything else you could you could reach me just slash Fertel on everything. Yeah, and uh, it was it was it was great chatting with you guys. Also, yeah, uh, if if anybody's interested in in doing Elixir and doesn't want to go to Spiff, uh, I think we we always have a lot of openings because we're we're constantly growing this team. So. Uh, 
feel free to uh, apply. Um, if you go to the PepsicoJobs.com and just search, um, probably Elixir is my guess. Um, well, the, the jobs will come up. I hope they're there. You know, I'll feel really uh, horrible if they're not. But um, we we could we could create the roles as soon before before this gets launched, just in case. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.